You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. John chapter number 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's uh, so good to uh, see uh, Brandon and Stephanie. Glad to have you back this week uh, with us. And then I did want to mention our graduation, our Victory Christian Academy graduation. We have 19 uh, that are graduating from kindergarten on that Friday night. And we have one senior. And uh, our seniors right down here, John, wave at us if you would. John Dixon is our, our senior. And it's going to be a great night on that Friday night. We're proud of John, of course, his mom. We're so thankful for you, and uh, what a blessing that school is. Thank you for your investment in that ministry. John chapter 5, we see in this passage, we see another miracle of Jesus. Our theme for the year is follow Jesus, and we have seen Jesus calling his disciples and how he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And we've seen what happens when you follow Jesus, and we've, we, we've d discovered some of those lessons and some of those truths. And these last few weeks, I've begun to preach on the miracles of Jesus. Last Sunday night, I preached on one of the parables of Jesus. Here we find in John chapter 5, we find another miracle. And uh, I, I'm amazed as I, as I read these uh, stories and as I uh, study these passages, how many times I've heard the story, but how many times I miss so many of the truths. You know, we just kind of get in a hurry, don't we? We kind of skim or we kind of think we, we kind of know the big picture. But I want to break down this miracle uh, in John chapter 5 where Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. It says in verse number 1, After this there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We do not know which feast it was. It's not important, and the Scripture doesn't tell us specifically. But Jesus is there in Jerusalem. And it says in verse number 2, There is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now, this in Jerusalem, there are different gates. So one of those gates is the sheep gate. That is where uh, most of the, the sheep and the animals would come in, which were mostly used for the sacrifices. 
And uh, so here by this sheep gate, there's a sheep market and there's a pool. Uh, this pool was probably a pool that was supplied uh, into the city with the water supply, but it's very possible that it was also a natural spring. Uh, if you've ever been to some places, it's very cool, very neat to see where they have natural springs that just, just come up. And so we're not exactly sure, but we know there was a pool with five porches or maybe five uh, uh, balconies or, or decks around it. But this was not a swimming pool. This was not a, uh, a vacation spot. This was a spot where you have never seen such a hopeless group of people. You know who was there? Sick people. People, the Bible says, that were blind. People that were lame. People that were paralyzed. And the Bible says this, and they were all waiting. They were waiting for something to happen. And the Bible tells us what they were waiting for. They were waiting for, at a certain season, an angel would come down and the angel would stir the waters of that pool. It was powerful. It was miraculous. And whoever was the first person to get in that water, they would be healed. I cannot imagine the joy for that one person that got in. They were the first ones in the water and they were healed. But I cannot imagine the dejection and the disappointment of every other person at that pool. Well, there was one man that knew what it was to be in despair. There was one man that knew what it was to try and to try and to try and to never succeed. The Bible says he had an infirmity for 38 years. And after 38 years of waiting beside that pool, he could never be the first one. How come? Because he had a problem. He was lame. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get in that water quick enough. And Jesus came to him and he, he answered. He said, sir, I have no man. He said, I have nobody to help me. I'm here by myself. I don't know if he had family. I don't know if he had friends. Maybe they had tried and maybe it was just too hard to pick him up and to get him in the water. I don't know. But at this point, there is nobody that will help him until Jesus comes along. Aren't you glad that you know somebody who can help anybody with any problem? His name is Jesus, and I want to talk about him for a few moments this morning. Our Father, please speak to us. Give us what we need from the Word of God today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, I see in this passage, I see there are trials. There are difficulties, and the Bible says it's not just a few. It says there is a great multitude. These are hurting people. These are helpless people. These are hopeless people that are there at the water. They're just waiting just for a chance, just for an opportunity to get in that water and to be healed. But here we have a whole bunch of people that are still waiting. We live in a world with a lot of hurting people. Can I say this? You look around this auditorium today and you say, well, pastor, I don't know all these people. And, and I often I, I have to realize that as the pastor, uh, I do know everybody or a new, other than visitors. I know everybody, but most of you don't. And so sometimes you look across and you think, well, those folks have it together. And those folks don't have any problems and those folks don't have any burdens. But you know what the truth is? Every single person in this room has burdens. Every single person has hurts. We all do. That's part of life. 
And here we see a multitude, a great multitude of people that were hurting. There was nothing they could do for themselves. They could not find a doctor. They could not find a cure. They could not find a medicine. They could not find a solution. Their only hope was that they could be the first one in this pool of water when that water was stirred. Number two, I see the troubling of the water. The Bible says that an angel would come and an angel would come and would trouble the water. That means to stir the water. In the Bible, anytime you find waters being stirred or troubled, usually it's not a good thing. The Dixon sang that song about, and Brindley sang that first verse about uh, out on the water and the storm is raging high. And, and there's, a, there's, there, there's the waves and, and there's the danger and there's the fear until Jesus comes on and he calms the storm and he, he calms the waves. And I'm glad that Jesus can calm the waves. Aren't you glad for that? But sometimes God allows storms into our lives, not to hurt us, but he allows storms into our lives to stir us. He allows storms into our lives so that rather than be comfortable and complacent, we get dependent upon God. You see, those disciples, when they were in the boat, everything was fine. It was smooth sailing. But when the storm came, what did they do? Jesus, we need you. Help us. And friend, I want to tell you, sometimes those storms that come into your life, they're, they're good because they get your eyes and they get my eyes back on Jesus. Sometimes the storms come like they did in Jonah's situation. And that was a storm because Jonah was running from God. Jonah needed to get right with God. If you're going through a storm, maybe it's God just shaking you up a little bit. Maybe it's God just getting your attention back on what really matters. Or maybe it's God trying to get your attention because maybe you've gotten away from him. But we see that the waters were troubled. We don't like troubled waters. We like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. We like it peaceful. We like it calm. But sometimes God will allow circumstances in our lives to get shaken up so that we will get our focus back upon him. Number one, I see the trials. Number two, I see the troubling of the water. Number three, I see the timing. The Bible tells us that an angel would come at a certain season into the pool. It doesn't say if it's every year or uh, maybe twice a year. I don't know. I would guess it was once a year, but I don't know. But I know there was a certain time. There was a certain timing when that angel would come and would stir the waters. And the people waited to be the first one to get in those waters. Well... Here's a man that had waited for 38 years. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't like to wait for 38 seconds. Certainly don't like to wait for 38 minutes. Can I get an amen on that? We like it right now. We like it yesterday. We like it immediately. But not for this man. 38 years he waited. You say, well, pastor, does that mean that God was late? Does that mean that Jesus got mixed up? Does that mean that, that this, this man was, was suffering without God's knowledge? Absolutely not. Jesus Christ did not show up a day late or a day early or a year late or a year early. Jesus showed up in this man's life at the right time. And I'll tell you this, there are times where we wait, there are times where we pray, and there are times where we ask, and God's desire for his children is that we not give up, but that we keep asking, 
that we keep knocking, that we keep seeking. And this man, he just waited. He just didn't give up. He stayed for 38 years. And guess what? Jesus showed up in his life. You may have a situation you feel like you've waited for 38 years. Well, can I tell you this? Don't give up. Jesus will show up. Jesus will work in your life at the right time, in the right way, exactly as he has it planned. Don't give up on God. Number four, I see the trust. This man had waited for 38 years. The Bible says he'd been a long time in that case. I would say, yes, that's a long time, 38 years. And when Jesus came and he began to speak with this man, the man admitted, he said, I can't do it. I have nobody to help me. I can't get in the waters. And maybe he thought Jesus was coming as a volunteer. Maybe he thought Jesus was coming to, to help him and to wait with him and said, hey, buddy, listen, as soon as those waters get stirred, I'm putting you in there and this is going to be great. Maybe that's what he thought. He thought Jesus was going to help him in the water. Well, I got news for you. He didn't have to wait for the waters. Because Jesus Christ himself was on the scene. And Jesus Christ had the ability to heal that man on the spot. And he did. Aren't you glad that when Jesus works and when Jesus heals, aren't you glad that he can do it in an instant? He can do it in a moment. He doesn't have to wait till the next time. He doesn't have to wait till the next cycle. He doesn't have to wait till the next month. He doesn't have to wait for anything. Jesus Christ can heal on the spot. And he did. I love this. The Bible says that this man was lame. He could not walk. That means this man couldn't get to Jesus by himself. There were some in the Bible that went to where Jesus was. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Remember that? Zacchaeus went to where Jesus was, and when he got to where Jesus was, he couldn't see him, so he climbed up into that tree, and he got up in that tree to where he could see Jesus, and he got to a spot where he could see him. Praise God. Remember last Sunday morning, the, the nobleman who traveled over 20 miles to get to where Jesus was to ask that Jesus would heal uh, his son of his sickness because he was at the point of death? Not this man. He could not come to where Jesus was. But guess what? Jesus came to where he was. Aren't you glad for the day that Jesus came to where you are? I'm glad for the day that I could not come to where he was. He was at the right hand of the throne of God. I was a sinner. I couldn't get to heaven. I didn't have access to heaven. I couldn't earn my way to heaven. I couldn't do anything to save myself. Myself, But Jesus, he came to this earth. He died on a cross and he came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm glad that Jesus came to my door. I'm glad that Jesus came into my life. I'm glad Jesus came looking for me. By the way, there are many folks today out there in this world that will never come to us. But God's plan is for us to go to them. That's the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Brother Zach and, and I were talking last night with uh, Brother Nathan. We were talking about the, the college campuses. And, and many students will come from other countries and they'll be on that college campus and they won't leave the campus. They don't know where to go. They don't know anybody off campus. But we could have people go on a college campus 
and share the gospel and, and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late. And that's God's plan for us to go to them, not for them to come to us. Now, some people will come to a church. Some people will drive by and see a sign or some people will get a flyer and they'll come and praise God for that. But God's plan is for us to go to them. Those people were watching the water, waiting for the water to stir. But in reality, they didn't need the stirring of the water. They had the Son of God right there on the scene. And Jesus Christ did a work in this man. Number five, I see the transformation. The Bible says that this man immediately was made whole. But notice when it says in verse number six, Jesus asked him, he said, Wilt thou be made whole? Here's what I see. Jesus does not force himself upon anybody. Jesus is not going to force you to get saved. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. God has given you and me a free will. He's given us a choice. He's given us the opportunity to receive the gospel or to reject the gospel. But the choice is yours. By the way, God's not going to force his will upon you either. He's looking for someone, as Romans says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God is looking for some living sacrifices that will yield themselves to him. I see the transformation. This man was made whole. He was restored to health. And we are all sick with sin. We all have a need. We all need the great physician. We all need the healing of the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. And Jesus came to, be, to, to make us whole. Jesus came to give us healing. Jesus came to save us, the transformation. Number six, I see quickly, I see the thanks. It says in verse number 14, afterward, after this man was healed... The Bible says that, well, look at verse 13. It says, and he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Now think about, have you ever had a, have you ever had a brain dead moment? Have you ever had a moment where you're thinking, duh, how did I miss that? How did I not think of that? This man is beside this pool of water for 38 years. Jesus comes by and he says, uh, you're healed. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And he takes up his bed and he walks and he goes out of there. And then as he's leaving, he's thinking, I didn't even ask the guy. I don't even know who this guy is. How can I find him? How can I talk to him? How can I thank him? He didn't even know who it was. So it says in verse number 14, it says, and afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple. Now, you say, well, how did this guy know to go to the temple? Well, if you had been lame for 38 years and you were miraculously healed, don't you think you'd be going to the temple? Don't you think you'd be going to the church and saying, I just got to thank God for the miracle. I just got to give an offering. I just got to bring a sacrifice. I've just got to do something to show God my thanks and my appreciation for what he has done. I believe this man was going to the temple to give God thanks. Now, I understand that we don't have to go to church to be thankful. <laughs> but I hope when we come to church, I hope we're thankful. And I hope we're thankful on Monday at home. And I hope we're thankful at Monday at work. And I hope we're thankful everywhere we go. I hope we take time to count our blessings and, and to thank God for what he's done in our lives. 
say, well, pastor, I've, I've not been lame. I've not been blind. I've not been paralyzed. I've not had something like these people had. So God's not done a miracle in my life. Well, I beg to differ. If you've been saved by the grace of God, that's a greater miracle than a lame man being healed. That's a greater miracle than a blind receiving sight. That's a greater miracle than a paralyzed person being restored to health. That's a greater miracle than any physical healing is the spiritual healing that not only transforms the body, but it transforms the soul. It transforms your eternity. And besides salvation, I'd say this. If you woke up this morning, that's a miracle. Now, I told the early service that, and on a rainy morning, some of them may not have been completely awake. But friend, by 11.52 in the morning, I would hope we're awake, you know, so God woke you up this morning, and maybe God provided that cup of coffee to assist in the process, but God woke you up. How about this? God kept that heart pumping. God put air in those lungs. God, God, God allowed you to get here safely. God allowed me to get here. God allowed us to live. God's given us life and breath. God has been so, so good. Let's give him thanks. Let's give him praise. We belong to God and we exist because of God. And can I tell you this? We should give God thanks. This man went to the temple, I believe, to give God thanks. But number seven, I see there was teaching in the temple. It says in verse 14, Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple... And said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Now, I don't know what all he learned that day. I don't know the extent of the conversation that this man had in the temple with Jesus. But I know this. When he left the temple that day, he knew who Jesus was. And can I tell you, if you come to church and you don't know all the verses and you don't know all the books of the Bible and you don't know all the references and you don't know all the songs and you don't know all that stuff, but you leave and you know Jesus, can I tell you, mission accomplished. And you come to church and you get closer to Jesus and, and you come to church and you have a greater love for Jesus. Can I tell you, that's what it's all about. This church is not about a pastor. This church is not about a staff. This church is not about uh, uh, workers. It's not about the deacons. It's not about the choir. It's not about the people. This church is all about Jesus. And if you leave and you know more about Jesus, then that has been a success. And this man, he left the temple and he said, hey guys, Remember before, I didn't even know the guy's name. Let me tell you, his name is Jesus. And friend, I hope that you get to know Jesus better when you come to church. I hope that you allow the preaching and the singing and the fellowship and everything that takes place in the Sunday school, I hope you allow that to help you to get to know Jesus Christ more and more and more every time you come. But then I see Jesus did give him some instruction. The Bible says that Jesus instructed him and said, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now that's interesting because the fact that Jesus chose to say that, it, it kind of indicates to me that maybe this man had been lame because of some sin he had committed. I, I don't know. I, I'm just saying that seems to be the reasonable explanation why Jesus would tell him, hey, you've been healed, now sin no more so that something worse doesn't happen down the road. Well, what about that? 
What if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm living right now with some consequences of my sin. My life is a mess. My life is a wreck. And Pastor, I'll be honest with you, it's my fault. I brought this upon myself. I sinned, and the wages of sin is death. And sin, uh, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And, 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 and you, you reap what you sow. You say, Pastor, what in the world am I going to do? Well, what happened to this man? He had sinned. He had suffered some consequences. But you know what he discovered? He discovered God's grace was greater than his sin. Jesus still healed him. Jesus still made him whole. Jesus' power was not limited because of this man's sin. And I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gotten away from the Lord. Your sin is not greater than God's grace. And God's ability to heal and God's ability to cleanse is greater than anything you've ever committed. Hallelujah for the grace of God. Now, what about this? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm suffering some consequences but it wasn't my sin, it was somebody else's sin. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was someone else, completely different. But you say, I'm suffering the consequences because of somebody else's choice. I'm suffering the consequences because what somebody else did. Again, I submit to you that God's grace is greater than that person's sin. God's power is greater than the hold of sin. God's power is greater than the consequences and the effects of sin. God can cleanse you. God can help you not to get bitter, but God can help you to get better. God can take your past and God can give you a bright future. God can take the past and he can allow you to forget those things which are behind and to reach forth unto those things which are before. I'm just trying to say that God wants you and I to understand no matter what's happened in your life, God can give healing and God can give cleansing and God is able. Number eight, quickly, I see the tragedy. And if you're wondering how many points I have, I only have nine, so I'm almost done. Don't panic. Number eight, the tragedy. Jesus has just healed this man, and the man is thankful, but the Jews are ticked off. They are angry. They are ready to kill Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. And not only did he heal a man, but he told him, he said, buddy, take up your bed and walk. Well, guess what? The Jews... Under the Old Testament law, they were supposed to honor the Sabbath. Remember that. But they had taken the law to remember the Sabbath, and they had taken the laws about not doing any work on the Sabbath. And they had taken it to a whole new level. They had 39 rabbinical laws that they had added to the Bible, and they had said things like this. On the Sabbath day... You may not cut any material. On the Sabbath day, you may not sow any material. On the Sabbath day, you may not start a fire. I tell you what, what if it was cold? I guess God wanted you to freeze to death on the Sabbath, right? Well, hang, and by the way, he didn't. I'm being, I'm being facetious. You couldn't start a fire on the Sabbath, according to the rabbinical laws. 
Not only that, you couldn't extinguish a fire. Unless someone's life was in danger, then you could. But if your family was out of the house, you had to sit there and watch it burn on the Sabbath. I'm just telling you how ridiculous it was. And another thing you could not do on the Sabbath is you could not carry anything. So this man, all he had to his name was right there, his bed. And this man, he's supposed to just leave it there? Is he supposed to wait there another day? I mean, are you serious? Jesus, the Son of God, has healed him. And all they could do was criticize. All they could do is pick apart what Jesus had done. And friend, can I tell you, if we're not careful, the longer you're saved and the longer I'm saved, if we're not careful, we'll pick apart what God is doing in somebody else. And you know what it is? It's jealousy. A critical spirit is thinking that we're better than somebody else. Friend, but except for the grace of God, that could have been you or me. And God is no respecter of persons, but we see that the tragedy was that they were more concerned with the man-made laws of the Sabbath than they were with a man being healed who had been lame for 38 years years lastly and i'm done number nine i see the truth they were angry because what jesus did on the sabbath day verse number 16 therefore did the jews persecute jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the sabbath day uh, and by the way jesus can do whatever he wants to on any day uh, he's god he he makes the rules verse 17 but jesus answered them my father worketh hitherto and i work Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. <laughs> Have you ever made somebody mad and then you just made it worse? <laughs> These Jews were already ready to kill him, but then they wanted to kill him even more. Here's why. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but he said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Ding, 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 ding. It's exactly who he is. He is God. Jesus Christ is equal with God. He is God the Son. And the, the Pharisees, they were so furious because this man claimed to be equal with God. Well, I want to tell you today, if Jesus is not God, we are still in our sins and we are on our way to hell with no hope of saving ourselves. Because Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John chapter 1, Jesus said, in the beginning was the Word. John said about Jesus, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 10, verse number 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And the truth of the matter here today, I want to make it very clear, is Jesus is far, far more than a good preacher. He's far more than a great prophet. He's far more than a great teacher. Jesus Christ is God. And because of that fact, you and I have a way and we have access and we have the opportunity to go to a place called heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. 
For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.